In the name of Jesus Christ, I pray. Amen. Amen. All right, well, we're there in Numbers chapter number 11. And, of course, uh, we've been going through a sermon series, a Bible study through the book of Numbers, and we've been calling it uh, Wilderness Wanderings. We've been uh, going chapter by chapter uh, through this book, and uh, this morning we find ourselves in Numbers chapter number 11. Of course, we took a break uh, while uh, my family and I were in the U.K., and other men uh, stepped up and preached, and again, thank you for that. Uh, here in Numbers chapter number 11, we are actually transitioning into a new uh, section of the book of Numbers. And uh, of course, as I've explained, as we've been going through this book, the book of Numbers is a book which covers uh, the, the 40 years of the children of Israel wandering through the wilderness, which is why we are calling the series Wilderness Wanderings. And the first 10 chapters were really instructional chapters. They were uh, chapters in which the children of Israel were getting ready uh, to journey through the wilderness. They weren't supposed to last 40 years in the wilderness. They were supposed to last a few weeks in the wilderness as they traveled through the wilderness and made their way into the promised land, which was God's uh, originally original plan. But as we're going to see this morning, that falls apart fairly quickly. And as a result of that, uh, the children of Israel end up wandering in the wilderness for 40 years uh, because God punishes them uh, because of what we'll see this morning a lot of it has to do with their murmuring and complaining. Um, in Numbers 11, we transition a little bit because now we're going to get into the narratives of this uh, book. We'll get into the stories, and like I said, some of the most famous stories and the things you know about the children of Israel uh, in the uh, wilderness come from the book of Numbers. And here in chapter number 11, just by way of introduction, I'll kind of explain the fact that there are two themes in this chapter, and they're interwoven together. Uh, it's not like you kind of deal with one theme and then you deal with another. You deal with one theme and then you deal with the second theme. You go back to the first theme and you deal with the second theme. And these de- uh, themes have to do with uh, complaining, and there's also a theme regarding Uh, followers and leaders. So there's a theme in this chapter regarding complaining and dissatisfaction, and there's another theme regarding followers and leaders, and they're kind of interwoven together, uh, but we're going to cover them both in two separate sermons, and I'm going to preach both sermons uh, today. So by the end of today, we'll have covered every verse in Numbers chapter 11, but this morning, I'm going to deal with a theme from this chapter regarding complaining and dissatisfaction And tonight, I'm going to preach from the same chapter, but we'll cover the verses that I won't cover this morning, and we'll deal with the idea of followers and uh, leadership. So this morning, we're going to look at this uh, theme in this chapter regarding dissatisfaction. And, you know, dissatisfaction is a major problem in the lives of people. It causes people uh, to make bad decisions. It causes them to make decisions that bring about a lot of regret. And there are some things we can learn in this chapter regarding dissatisfaction. I'd like you to notice... Uh, as we begin this morning, and I'd like to give you four thoughts regarding dissatisfaction in life. And the first uh, thing that I'd like to highlight for you is the source of dissatisfaction. And if you're taking notes, and I always encourage you to take notes, on the back of your chorus of the week, there's a place for you to uh, write down some notes. I'd like you to notice, first of all, the source of dissatisfaction. When we are dissatisfied in life, when we are uh, and, and by dissatisfied, uh, I mean the opposite of content. Contentment is to be satisfied uh, in your life. Dissatisfaction comes, uh, and it comes from 
certain places. It come, there's a source that brings the satisfaction in the life of individuals. And I want you to notice they're covered here in these verses. The first one is that of complaining. Notice there in verse number one. We're going to see this as a theme throughout the book of Numbers for the children of Israel. Numbers chapter 11 and verse one. And when the people complained, I want you to notice what the Bible says. It displeased the Lord. And we should always acknowledge the fact that all complaining is complaining against the Lord. Because it is the Lord that has given you your life. It is the Lord that has given you your lot. The Bible says that every good gift comes from above, from the Father of lights. And when you and I complain about anything, when we complain about where we live or where we work or what we wear or what we drive, it is really a complaint against the Lord. And here we're told in verse 1, and when the people complained, it displeased the Lord. And, by the way, not only should we acknowledge the fact that all complaining is complaining against the Lord, but we should acknowledge the fact that all complaining is heard by the Lord. Notice, and the Lord heard it, and his anger was kindled, and the fire of the Lord burnt among them and consumed them that were in the uttermost parts of the camp. And if you are here this morning, and maybe you are dissatisfied, maybe you are not content in life, maybe you are not happy wherewith, uh, where the Lord has you in life, you should consider the fact that that source of dissatisfaction, because listen to me, every single person makes a choice whether you want to be satisfied where you are in life or you want to be dissatisfied. And of course, there are all areas in our lives where we want to do better and maybe we have goals and things we want to try to accomplish, but satisfaction and dissatisfaction are a choice you make. They're a decision you choose uh, to make. And often that happens because of the fact that we choose to complain. And let me just say this, there is always a reason to complain. If you are looking for something to complain about, you'll always find it. We tend to focus on the bad things in our lives, and we tend to ignore uh, the good things in our lives. We often uh, will focus in on the things that we're not happy about, the things that we don't like, while ignoring the multitude of blessings that God has given to our lives. So I want you to notice that there was a source of dissatisfaction from the children of Israel here, and it was because of complaining. When the people complain, it displeased the Lord. But that's not the only source. The first source is a source of complaining. And if you are someone who complains this morning, I would encourage you to consider the fact that all complaining is against the Lord, and all complaining is heard by the Lord. And you ought to acknowledge the fact, like we like to sing in the song, Count Your Blessings, but acknowledge the fact that God has blessed us in many areas of life. And if there's one area in life that maybe we are not happy with or, we're not, uh, or we don't like it, we should not focus all of our attention on that area. It's interesting to me how people can have so many good things happening in their life and then one thing that they're not happy about. Maybe they're not married or maybe they don't have children or maybe they're not in the job that they want to be in or maybe uh, they, they don't have the health exactly how they want it to be dialed in. And it's interesting to me how uh, God can bless you in so many different areas. He can give you so many things uh, and so many blessings, uh, starting with salvation, by the way. Amen. Which, if you acknowledge the fact that you're saved and that you deserve to go to hell and you're not going to hell, that should cut out all complaining right then and there. Anything that you and I get on top of salvation is a benefit on top of the fact that we are saved. But we tend to just focus in. Single people like to focus on the fact that they're single. And, you know, they're saved. Hey, they, they, they might have a good job. They might have some good health. They might have some good friends. They might have a, 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 a good church. They definitely have a good pastor and a pastor's wife. And, uh, and, and I'm joking, of course. But, um, but they, they focus in on that one thing. 
And, and oftentimes we get focused on the one thing that we don't have. If I could only get married, I would be happy. If I could only have children, I would be happy. If I could only live in this neighborhood or drive this vehicle or wear these clothes. And we focus in on the things we don't have because we like to complain. And here's all I'm saying to you is that as soon as you get that husband, or as soon as you get that wife, as soon as you get that job, as soon as you get those children, as soon as you get that car, as soon as you get that house, as soon as you get that whatever it is that you're focusing in on to complain, that will not solve the problem of complaining, because the problem of the complaining is in your heart. And there will always be something to complain about. The interesting thing to me is that single people complain that they're not married, and once they get married, they complain that they are married. People without children complain that they don't have children, and once they have children, they complain that they have children. People that don't have a job complain that they don't have a job, and then once they have the job, they complain about the job. And all I'm saying is this, is that human nature is that, that, that we always want to complain. And being satisfied is a choice that you must make. You must realize that there's always a reason to complain, and when we complain, it displeases the Lord and it's heard by the Lord because all complaining is against God and all complaining is heard by God. So we see the source of dissatisfaction is complaining, but that's not the only one. Notice there's another source and it's highlighted in our passage as well. Look at verse 2. And the people cried unto Moses, and when Moses prayed unto the Lord, the fire was quenched, and he called the name of the place Taborah because the fire of the Lord burnt among them. Notice verse 4. And the mixed multitude that was among them. Here's the next source of complaining fell a lusting and the children of Israel also wept again and said who shall give us flesh to eat and oftentimes when we use the word lust or lusting in our modern uh, uh, terminology we think of a sort of physical relationship uh, between a man and a woman but the word lust in the Bible simply means to desire or to covet and I want you to know and obviously it's used in the context of a physical relationship but I want you to notice here these people were lusting look at verse 4 and the mixed multitude that was among them fell a lusting and the children of Israel also wept again and said who shall give us flesh to eat these people are lusting about food they they fell a lusting regarding who shall give us uh, flesh to eat. Keep your place there in Numbers chapter 11. That's our text for this morning. And go with me, if you would, to the book of Romans. Romans chapter number 7. In the New Testament, you've got Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans. Romans chapter number 7. And please don't misunderstand what I'm saying. I think it's good to have drive. And I think it's good to want to better yourself. I think it's good to have goals and, 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 and what we might call uh, uh, some godly dissatisfaction with the idea that we want to do better and accomplish better and, and do more. I think all of us should have a desire to meet the mark, and, and, and there's nothing wrong with wanting to get married, nothing wrong with trying to have a better job, nothing wrong with trying to have better health. But when you and I get to the place where we say, I will only be satisfied if, I will only be happy when, I will only be content if God, when God, when this situation happens, then you are making an idol out of that thing. Because our contentment should be in the Lord, our contentment should be in God, and our happiness and our joy should be found in the Lord. We should be able to say like the psalmist, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And we like to say that in the sense like he's the provider and he is the provider. The Lord is the shepherd and I shall not want because he provides. But we should also understand that the idea is that with what the Lord has provided, I need not want anything else. I need to understand that what God has given me is what I need. 
I don't need to complain. I don't need to covet. Notice Romans 7 and verse 7. What shall we say then? Is the law sin? God forbid. Nay, and not known sin, but by the law. Why don't you notice what Paul says here in Romans 7 7. For I had not known lust. He's about to, the Bible, the King James Bible is its own dictionary. Why don't you notice here what the Bible says? For I had not known lust, except the law has said, thou shalt not covet. The word covet means to desire or to want something that is not yours, that you do not have. And here Paul defines lust as wanting something that is not appropriate for us because it doesn't belong to us. When, when you desire something that belongs to you, the biblical word for that is to be jealous. And we'll talk about that uh, tonight. Uh, but here we see that these people were lusting after something that God had not given them and God had not provided for them. And I want you to understand this morning that if you are dissatisfied in life, it is probably because you allow yourself to indulge in the habit of complaining. Because you allow yourself to complain. You say, how do I solve that? How do I solve my dissatisfaction? Well, begin here. Do not allow yourself to complain. Realize that everything you have came from God, and when we complain, it is a complaint against God. It displeases the Lord when we complain. The Lord hears our complaining, and we should not focus on the things we don't have, but we should instead focus on the things that God has given us. So begin by not complaining. But here's the other thing. Don't covet. Quit lusting after that which you do not have. Because we not only tend to focus on the bad things in our lives and ignore the good things, we also tend to focus on the things we don't have instead of appreciating the things we do have. So we see the source of dissatisfaction is complaining. We see the source of dissatisfaction is coveting. I want you to notice thirdly this morning, notice there verse 5. The source of dissatisfaction is comparing. Look at verse 5. Notice what the children of Israel said. Remember, they're three days into their journey. They're, about, they're a little bit over a year into the wilderness. They've left Egypt, and they have been camped at the, mount, uh, at the base of Mount Sinai for about a year as they have prepared for this journey. Now they've actually began the journey through the wilderness. They're three days into this thing before the whole thing gets derailed. And I want you to notice what they say in verse 5. They say, we remember the fish which we did eat in Egypt. And I want you to notice this word, and if you're uh, someone like me, and I understand maybe uh, you're not, and I communicate for a living, this is what I do, I, I, I communicate, so words mean a lot to me. And when I see this word, I think to myself, really? Because here's what they said, they say, we remember the fish which we did eat in Egypt, and then they said this, freely. We remember the fish which we did eat in Egypt, freely. And if, 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 if you like to uh, notice words and kind of, uh, dissect words and analyze statements, you might want to underline that word freely. They said, we remember the fish which we did eat in Egypt freely. And you say, why are you emphasizing the word freely? Because when I see the word freely, if I was there, if I was there uh, as, as, as the pastor of this church, as these individuals were complaining about the fact that they had been in Egypt, uh, out of Egypt for about a year now, and God had fed them with manna, and, uh, but they were lusting after flesh, they wanted some meat to eat, and, and they begin to compare, and they say, we remember the fish which we did eat in Egypt freely. And I, if I was there, I would want to stop them and say, now hold on a second, before you go any further, let me just ask you the question. Is that really the word you want to use freely? 
which we did eat in Egypt freely? Is that really the adjective you want to use to describe the situation you find yourself in? To describe the comparing you find yourself? Is that really the word you want to use freely? Because let me tell you something about the bondage of Egypt. It was everything but free. You may have ate fish freely, but you weren't free. It's always interesting to me, and look, when you begin to complain, and you begin to compare, and you begin to covet, you might want to ask somebody to tape record the words that you are saying, and analyze the words that you are saying, because here we have these people who spent hundreds of years in bondage, who were uh, uh, slaves to the Egyptians, who were set free by God when he sent Moses, and they come out, the last thing they were was free, but when they go back to remember They say, we remember the fish. Oh, really? Do you remember the beatings? We remember the fish. Oh, do you remember the bondage? Which we did eat in Egypt freely. Do you remember the fact that you weren't free? Is this really the word you want to use, freely? Then they said this, the cucumbers. Really? Is this, I mean, cucumbers, I mean, everybody, I think everybody likes cucumbers, but cucumbers aren't that great. We remember the fish and the cucumbers and the melons and the leeks. Really, the leeks. That's what you want to compare. And the onions and the garlic. Garlic is pretty good. Look at verse 6. But now. Notice the comparison. We remember. You know, it's always interesting to me how people always don't remember. Look, I often say this to people. No matter how bad your life is, it's probably not as bad as you think it is. And by the way, let me just say this. On the flip side, no matter how good you might think it is, it's probably not that good. Young people are like, oh, I met, I met Prince Charming. He's so amazing. It's like, hey, he's all right. I mean, he's not as good as garlic. <laughs> Smells like garlic. Maybe that's the problem. You know, and we tend to remember things as worse than they actually were or, or, or better than they actually are. It's always interesting to me when I talk to people who have been divorced, and I'm not against you if you've been divorced. I'm not for divorce. I think it's not a good thing, and I think that anyone who's ever been divorced would agree. It's not something that was necessarily uh, uh, something that they enjoyed going through. But it's always funny to me when people who are divorced remember their spouse, and it's like, everything was horrible, everything was terrible, they were a psychopath from day one. And I'm like, well, I mean, there has to have been at least one good day. I mean, you walked down the aisle, didn't you? <laughs> you said, I do, of your own volition. But we, we want to remember everything. We want to remember. And then someone dies, and it's like, they were a saint. You know, and I don't think that we should speak ill of the dead, obviously. But, you know, people die, and then we make them these, you know, like, they were amazing, they were the greatest. It's like, yeah, I'm, I'm glad. They were good. They were good. We remember the fish. Notice the skew comparison. We remember the fish, which we did eat in Egypt freely, the cucumbers and the melons and the leeks and the onions and the garlic. They say, but now, but now, here's the comparison, but now our soul is dried away. And this kind of reminds me of a child, right? I'm starving. (laughs) It's like we ate 30 minutes ago. You're stuffing your face with, you know, goldfish. 
but now our soul is right away. There is nothing at all. And again, look, look. Maybe, maybe you don't like communication as much as I do, but analyze this. But now our, flat, our soul is right away. There is nothing at all. Really? Nothing at all? There is nothing at all. And I kind of envision that Moses kind of looking at him like, really? Nothing at all? There is nothing at all beside this manna. Well, well then, well, then, the, then you can't really say there's nothing at all. Again, the children, there's nothing to eat. It's like, your mother just made a rose. Well, I mean, yeah, there's the rose. Here's what you mean. There's nothing at all that you want, that you're coveting after, that you're complaining about. There's nothing at all beside this manna before our eyes. And here's the truth. We tend to focus on the negative things in our lives. And we tend to forget. We tend to forget things or to not remember things. We, we, we make these comparisons. And please, look, please understand this. Whenever the Bible says that they which compare themselves among themselves are not wise. There's no wisdom in comparing. There is no winner. There is never a winner to the comparison game. Don't ever compare uh, your life to somebody else's. This is one of the reasons why uh, social media is so frustrating to me. Because people spend all day long, all day long comparing. Comparing, comparing, comparing. And the thing is this, and, here, and look, just understand this thing about social media is that people are putting the highlights. They're, they're giving you, you know, they're showing you all the great stuff about their lives, but they're not giving you the full picture. Sometimes, literally, they're not <laughs> giving you the full picture. Wow, she looks like she lost so much weight. I'm so envious. And it's like, well, yeah, when you take the picture like this and you put Vaseline on the screen and you're like sucking in. <laughs> After four layers of, of, of editing, when we compare, when we compare, we set ourselves up for failure. And again, I would just say, you remember the fish, but do you remember Pharaoh? I know you remember the cucumbers, but do you remember the affliction? I know you remember the onions, but do you remember the grieving? I know you remember the garlic, but do you remember the hard bondage? I, I, I know you remember uh, the leaks, but do you remember the children being thrown into the river to be killed? Oftentimes we like to compare. These are all sources of dissatisfaction. And I will submit to you this morning that if you are here this morning and you are dissatisfied, it's probably because you allow yourself to complain. It's probably because you allow yourself to covet. It's probably because you allow yourself to compare. And you should not because all these things are only going to produce dissatisfaction in your life. So we saw, number one, the source of dissatisfaction. But I'd like you to notice, secondly, this morning, the spread of dissatisfaction. You know, the Bible says a little leaven leaveneth the whole lump. I want you to notice here in Numbers chapter 11 and verse 7, and the manna was a coriander seed, and the color thereof was as the color of Bedlam. And the people went about and gathered it and ground it in mills, or beat it in a mortar and bake it in pans and make cakes of it. And the taste of it was the taste of fresh oil. I mean, here we have God supernaturally feeding them with manna. And he is causing this manna. All they're eating is manna. But it's not like they're just forced to uh, 
have just this one source. It's, it's, they're able to prepare it in different ways. They can ground it in mills. They can beat it in mortar. They can bake it. They can fry it. Um, they made cakes of it. I mean, he's feeding them with manna, and he's supernaturally causing... The, uh, elsewhere in the Bible, this manna is referred to as angel's food. And, and he's supernaturally causing them to get all of the nutrition that is needed. I, I mean... And I don't know, obviously, we don't know when we're there and all these things, but, I mean, I, I, I love bread. I'd rather have the dinner rolls than the dinner, oftentimes. Amen. You know, I just, I just, I just love bread. And, and these people were eating bread all day. And nobody was making them feel guilty about it. And they had all the nutrition. They did, but they're complaining. And when the dew fell upon the camp in the night, the manna fell upon it. Notice verse 10. And Moses heard the people. Your complaining is heard by others. It's heard by God, but it's heard by others. Listen, maybe you're an older sibling. Don't, don't be a complainer. Because your complaining will be heard by your younger siblings. And the thing about dissatisfaction is that it spreads. Then Moses heard the people weep throughout their families. Every man in the door of his tent and the anger of the Lord was kindled greatly. Moses also was displeased. Now notice, they were displeased. Now Moses is displeased. They were complaining and I want you to notice, now Moses begins to complain. Look at verse 11. And Moses said unto the Lord, Wherefore hast thou afflicted thy servant? Now Moses is speaking to God and saying, Why have you afflicted thy servant? And wherefore have I not found favor in thy sight, that thou layest the burden of all these people upon me? Have I conceived all these people? Have I begotten them, that thou shouldest say unto me, Carry them in thy bosom, as the nursing father beareth the sucking child unto the land which thou swearest unto their fathers? When should I have flesh to give unto all these people? For they weep unto me, saying, Give us flesh, that we may eat. Look at verse 14. He says, I am not able to bear all these people alone. And we're going to come back to this tonight and look at how God responds to this. But I want you to notice just simply this morning that they were complaining. Now Moses is complaining. I am unable to bear all these people alone because it is too heavy for me. And if thou deal thus with me. Notice how melodramatic. Kill me, I pray thee. And by the way, sometimes, you know, pastors, they, they get like this. Kill me. Just kill me already. Sometimes in ministry, people ask me, how many times have you ever thought about quitting? And I always respond, you mean this week? <laughs> and if thou deal thus with me, kill me, I pray thee, out of hand. If I have found favor in, the, in thy sight, let me not see my wretchedness. I want you to know the spread of dissatisfaction. Moses heard their complaining, and then Moses imitates their complaining. And listen to me, listen to me. A little leaven leaveneth the whole lump. Oftentimes you get into a workplace and everyone's complaining and murmuring and grum, you know, criticizing the boss. It all began with one complainer. You have children in the home and they're all complaining. It usually began with one complainer. You have a church filled with people that are complaining and murmuring and grum. It usually begins with one complainer. There is the spread of dissatisfaction. Make sure you're not the source of dissatisfaction. Make sure you're the source of contentment. Make sure you're satisfied. Hey, when all your coworkers are complaining about the boss and how much you get paid and you didn't get this day off and you didn't get the hey, what, make sure you're the person that says, I'm just thankful to have a job. I'm, I'm just glad that God gave me a job that I can provide for my family. 
And look, we tend to be negative people and to be dissatisfied, but do not allow other people's dissatisfaction to spread on you. You, you, just, you, you keep that. I don't need that. You go ahead and be dissatisfied, and you go ahead and be unhappy, and you go ahead and be t- uh, uh, complaining about your husband or your wife or your children or your job or whatever. I don't need all that. I want to be happy, and I want to be satisfied in the Lord. So we see the source of dissatisfaction. We see the spread of dissatisfaction. I want you to notice thirdly this morning, I want you to notice the signs of dissatisfaction. What does dissatisfaction look like? How, how does it manifest? When, when it happens, what does it look like? I want you to notice that Moses begins here to criticize God. Not, not just Moses, but the, the children of Israel. Notice verse 7. And the manna was a coriander seed. And the color thereof as the color of Bedlam. And the people went about and gathered it. Now, I want you to notice this because I want to make a point here. The manna's falling. The people went about and gathered it. And ground it in mills and beat it in mortar and baked it in pans and made cakes of it. And the taste of it was the taste of fresh oil. Doesn't that sound good? Sounds like a Krispy Kreme donut. And when the dew fell upon the camp in the night, the manna fell upon it. They, God, I mean, it's, it's delivery. It's Uber Eats. It's DoorDash. Divine DoorDash. He's sending them the manna. When the dew fell upon the camp in the night, the manna fell upon it. Then Moses heard the people weep throughout their families, every man in the door of his tent, and the anger of the Lord was kindled greatly. Moses also was displeased. I want you to notice this. Moses heard the people weep throughout their families. Every man in the door of his tent, he heard them weep. Why are they weeping? Because it's the manna. They say, oh, the manna again. Oh, we got to eat the manna again. Oh, this stinking manna. They're literally crying. You don't think grown men throw temper tantrums? Get in the ministry. You'll see it happen. You don't think grown women, adults, they're crying about the manna. Moses heard the people weep throughout their families. Every man in the door of sin. But I want you to notice, when are they crying? Here's the, the, the to, to add insult to injury, it's this, verse 8, and the people went about and gathered it. So the people get up, they see the manna, they go about, they're gathering the manna, they're picking up the manna, they're gathering the manna, they're going to eat, they're gathering the manna, they're going to consume, they're gathering the manna that God has provided. And as they're gathering the manna, they're complaining about the manna. Do you understand what I just said? As they're gathering the manna, they're criticizing the God of the manna. And it's always interesting to me when grown men show up to work and as they're working the job that God gave them, they're complaining about the job that God gave them. As they're married to the husband that God gave them, as they're married to the wife that God gave them, they're complaining about the husband and the wife that God gave them. As they're raising the children that God gave them. They're criticizing the God that gave them. And look, the insult to injury is that we often criticize God as He is providing for us. And the next time you complain about the house you live in, 
You got to remember that you're complaining about the house you live in as God has provided the house for you to live in. Complaining about the car you drive in as you're driving down the vehicle that God has provided for you. You say, well, well, I'm just going to stop complaining. Well, then you better get your own air. Do you understand what I just said? Because every good gift is from above. Everything we have came from God. And when you wake up in the morning and your eyeballs open and you take a breath, that came from God. And when you and I complain against the God who provides our needs, we add insult to injury. We criticize God as He is providing our needs. The man who falls, they're picking it up, they're even taking bites, they're having breakfast, complaining about the manna that God gave them. The signs of dissatisfaction are that we complain and we criticize God for the things that He provides for us as he is actively providing them for us. I want you to notice another sign of dissatisfaction, the way that it manifests itself is not just that we criticize God as he is providing for us, but it is that we question God. Notice verse 13. This is now Moses speaking. He says, whence? The word whence means from where, from what place, from what source. Whence should I have flesh to give unto all these people? For they weep unto me, saying, Give us flesh that we may eat. Remember the fact that the children of Israel are in the wilderness. There's uh, several million people here. And, 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 and Moses is asking this question. He's saying, when? He said, From where, from what source should I have flesh to give all these people? And at this point, you could make the argument that maybe Moses is asking a valid question. Not a question of criticism, but just a question of curiosity. How are we going to feed all these people? But as he continues to talk, it becomes apparent that he's having a bad attitude here, and he's being sarcastic. Look at verse 21. And Moses said, the people among whom I am are 600,000 footmen. It's always interesting to me when we feel the need to remind God about what God already knows. Moses, don't you think that God knows you have 600,000 footmen? Why do you feel the need to explain to God, God, I don't know you're really taking the time to think this, the, the, the whole thing through. I mean, we've got 600,000 soldiers here. I mean, that's just the soldiers. We're not even talking about their wives and their children. Why are you explaining to God? Is this what a lot of our prayer time looks like, if we even have prayer time? And Moses said, the people among whom I am are 600,000 men, and thou hast said I will give them flesh that they may eat a whole month. And then notice the sarcasm. Shall the flocks and the herds be slain for them to suffice them? This is what, this is what we sound like, isn't it, when we complain? You just, just, just go to take it all, God. Just, just take it all. He just asked for 10%. Well, I, yeah, just have it all. I mean, I'm just, just, just going to have to be homeless. Shall the flocks and the herds be slain for them to suffice them? Or shall all the fish of the sea be gathered together for them to suffice them? I like God's response, verse 23. And the Lord said unto Moses, Is the Lord's hand waxing short? He said, are, are, are you saying, Moses, that I've tried to reach for something, that I've decided to do something that I cannot reach? That I've decided to touch something that I cannot reach. Is the Lord's hands waxing short? 
Thou shalt see now whether my word shall come to pass unto thee or not. And here's what I want you to understand. The manifestations, the signs of dissatisfaction are this, that we criticize God as he is providing for us, and we question God, though he has provided for us. Moses is talking to God, and God is saying, you don't remember the ten plagues? You don't remember the Red Sea? I've already provided. I've already showed myself true. Is the hand of the Lord waxing short, Moses? And oftentimes when you and I are dissatisfied, it manifests in this. We criticize about the job that God has given us as we're at, at that job. We criticize about the lot of life that God has given us as we're living that life. And then we question God, though he has always provided for us. And though he continues to provide for us. So I said, number one, we saw the source of dissatisfaction. Number two, we saw the spread of dissatisfaction. Number three, we saw the signs of dissatisfaction. And I'd like you to notice, fourthly, this morning, this is the last point. I'd like you to notice the solution for dissatisfaction. The solution. And we might say it this way, the correction. And by the way, let me just explain this. This is not the solution that you and I put on dissatisfaction because the solution that you and I have to dissatisfaction is simply this, to decide to be satisfied. That's all it takes. Amen. You need to choose to be satisfied. God is most glorified when we are satisfied in Him. But if you and I refuse to be satisfied... Then God says, well, I can make you satisfied. God says, there's a couple things that I can do, solutions for dissatisfaction. You say, what are they? Notice verse 18, Numbers 11, 18. And say thou unto the people, this is God speaking, telling Moses to tell the people, sanctify yourselves against tomorrow, and ye shall eat flesh. That's probably a little bit of a hooray. They've been asking for flesh, and ye shall eat flesh. For ye have wept in the ears of the Lord, saying, Who shall give us flesh to eat? For it was well with the Egyptian, with us in the Egyptians. And again, analyze that. For it was well with us in Egypt. Really? Is that how you remember that? Because I don't remember it that way. It was well with us in Egypt. Therefore the Lord will give you flesh, and ye shall eat, and ye shall not eat one day. They're like, oh, praise the Lord. Maybe our complaining worked. Nor two days, nor five days, neither ten days, nor twenty days. Look at verse 20. But even a whole month, and then notice what God said, but even a whole month until it come out of your nostrils and it be loathsome unto you. Because you have despised the Lord which is among you and have wept before him saying, why came we forth out of Egypt? You know how God can correct dissatisfaction in your life? One way that he can do it is by giving you everything you want. You know, the worst thing that God may do to you is to give you all the things that you complain about. He says, you want flesh? Okay, you can have flesh. You want quail? Okay, you shall not eat one day, nor two days, nor five days, neither ten days, nor twenty days, but even a whole month until it come out of your nostrils. 
This is referenced in the book of Psalms. Go to Psalm 78 if you would. Keep your place there in Numbers. If you open up your Bible just right in the center, you're more than likely to find the book of Psalms, Psalm 78. Psalm 78 and verse 27 says this, He rained flesh also upon them, as dust and feathered fowls, like as the sand of the sea. And he left it, and he let it fall in the midst of their camp round about their habitations. Look at verse 29. So they did eat and were well filled, for he gave them their own desire. They were not estranged. The word estranged means separated or removed from their lust. They were not estranged from their lust. God allowed them to be fulfilled in their lust. But while their meat was yet in their mouths, the wrath of God came upon them and slew the fattest of them and smote down the chosen men of Israel. He says, while their meat was yet in their mouths. You know, the truth is this, that the worst thing that God may do to you is give you everything you want. I always think it's funny, you know, I talk to young people and I'm like, don't marry him, don't, look, I'm, don't marry him. Don't marry her. They're like, oh yeah, but I want to and I'm so lonely. And I often tell people there's worse things than being lonely. Like being married to that guy. <laughs> being married to that gal. The worst thing that God may do to you is give you everything you ask for till it comes out of your nostrils, till He is smiting you while the meat is yet in your mouth. See, we get this idea and we say, oh, well, if God would give me everything I want, then I would be happy. Hey, if God gave you everything you want, you'd be miserable. God gave you every desire of your heart, you'd be miserable. Read the book of Ecclesiastes. You have the man, uh, uh, King Solomon, who was the wisest man on earth, intellectually wisest man on earth. He knew what was right, but he did not do it in his life. And what does he say in the book of Ecclesiastes? He says that I kept back nothing from my hand. He said, I searched out everything there was to search out regarding wisdom. He said, I searched out everything there was to search out regarding wisdom, uh, women. He said, I searched out everything there was to search out regarding wealth. I searched out everything there was to search out regarding wine. He says, I, I, I gave myself everything. He said, everything that my heart could possibly desire when it came to wine and to women and to wealth and to wisdom and to success. He said, I had it all. And you say, well, weren't you happy, Solomon? In the book of Ecclesiastes, more than one time, he says, I hated life. The worst thing that God may do to you to solve your little dissatisfaction problem is give you everything you want. Because then you might realize that maybe God knew best. And maybe the manna was all I needed. Keep your place there in Psalms. Go back to Numbers 11. There's another way that God corrects dissatisfaction. The solutions for dissatisfaction. We're talking about God's solutions. One way is that he can correct the satisfaction by giving you everything you want. 
You want flesh? Okay, you can have it. Not for one day or two days or five days or ten days or twenty days. He said, I'm going to give it to you for a whole month until it comes out of your nostrils. And he says, while the flesh is yet in their mouths, I'm going to slay the fattest of them, God says. But there's another way that he can give you correct dissatisfaction. One way that he can correct his satisfaction is by giving you everything you want. And it's always interesting to me. It's always interesting to me because whenever my wife and I tell somebody, don't marry that person, it's just a matter of time before they're like, oh, it was the biggest mistake and I can't believe and he's this and he, she's that and it's or whatever. And of course, as a good Baptist preacher, the first thing I say is, I told you so. <laughs> but now you've made your bed and you've got to lay in it and we're going to help you get through this. The worst thing God may do to you is give you exactly what you want. God can correct the satisfaction by giving you everything you want, but there's another way that God can correct the satisfaction. He can do it one of two ways. He can give you everything you want, or God can correct the satisfaction by taking everything you have. Look at verse 31. And there went forth a wind from the Lord and brought quails from the sea. Let them fall by the camp, and it were as it were a day's journey on this side, and as it were a day's journey on the other side, right about the camp, and as it were two cubits high upon the face of the earth. And the people stood up all that day, and all that night, and all the next day, and they gathered the quails. I mean, they're having themselves a party. He that gathered leaves gathered ten homers, and they spread them all abroad for themselves right about the camp. And while the flesh was yet between their teeth, Ere it was chewed, the wrath of the Lord was kindled against the people, and the Lord smote the people with a very great plague. And he called the name of the place uh, Kibroth Havata, because they were buried, uh, because there they buried the people that lusted. You know, one way that God can solve your complaining problem is by giving you everything you want. And like Solomon, you'll say, I hated life. But one other way that God can correct your dissatisfaction is by taking everything you have. It's interesting to me how we often do not value the most precious things in our lives until they are gone. Go ahead and complain about those kids. Go ahead and complain about that spouse. Go ahead and complain about that job. Complain about it. Just complain. Complain about it. And see how you feel when God says, okay, you don't like it? I'll take it away. Because God can correct the dissatisfaction problem by giving you everything you want or by taking everything you have. You say, what would be better? You know what would be better is to fix it yourself. Let me quickly just run a couple verses with you and we'll finish up. Go to Philippians if you would. Philippians chapter number 4. In the New Testament, you've got Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans. 1st, 2nd Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians. Philippians chapter 4. Satisfaction is a choice you and I make. We can choose to be satisfied in the Lord. Notice what Paul said in Philippians chapter 4. And by the way, just to remember the context, remember that when Paul is writing the book of Philippians, he's writing it from a jail cell. He's sitting in prison. 
And he pens these words, Philippians 4 and verse 11. Not that I speak in respect of want. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. There's nothing I want. If I have God, there should be nothing I want. Now, are there things that we would like God to bless us with and maybe things that we'd love to have in the future? And there's nothing wrong with that. But if you have to have it, you're making an idol of it. Not that I speak in respect of want. I want you to notice this phrase. He says, for I have learned. You know that satisfaction is something that you can learn? See, the problem that you and I have is this, that we, we hope that satisfaction is something that happens to us. If the things around us, if the things outside of us, if the things around my life, if they were to change, if, 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 if the economy got better, if we had a better president... If I had a better job, if I lived somewhere else, if I had another spouse, if I had other things. We have this idea that if these things happen around me, then I would finally be happy. You would not be happy because you're a complainer. And no matter what you have in life, you find something to complain about because there's always something to complain about. And the worst thing that may happen to you is that God gives you exactly what you want. Or God takes it all away. Or God does both. But Paul said, you know, I have learned. He said, I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. And I often make the joke, that includes the state of California. (laughs) I know both how to be abased and I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things I am instructed. Look, Look at the words, I am instructed both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and suffer need. He said, I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. You can be content in any situation. You just have to choose to. You can be content in any situation. You just have to decide to. You know, I believe... I believe this, and I'm not saying that we would ever do this because the factor, the, the X factor in this would be you. <laughs> but I believe that any two, any two Christians, any two individuals, I'm talking about single people that aren't married, any two individuals, if they both love God, if they both love the Lord, if they're both actively serving God, soul winning, uh, just uh, being spiritual, I believe, that, I, be, I believe that I could take any two random Christians anywhere And as long as they love God and they love the Lord and they're walking with God, we could have them get married and they could be happy for the rest of their lives and be completely satisfied. It's true. That's why, you know, for, and I'm not not for arranged marriages, but that's why for hundreds and thousands of years, arranged marriages worked so well. People had arranged marriages and they were just married until they were 70 and 80 and 100. The problem is when we let you make your decisions. (laughs) It's like, oh, you're not good. Look, the Bible says take no thought. Stop thinking. You're not good at it. Just stop it. Just, just let the Bible tell you what to do. And what I'm saying is this, is that you can be satisfied anywhere. Sitting in a prison cell, if you're with the Lord, you can be satisfied. 
married to anyone, living anywhere, having any job, driving anything, wearing anything. You can be satisfied. Paul said, I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. He says, I know both how to be abased and I know how to abound everywhere and in all things. He said, I can do all things through Christ who strengtheneth me. So you can decide to be satisfied or you can let God make you satisfied. I don't know about you, but I'd rather just do it without having God force my hand. Go back to Psalms if you would. We'll look at two passages. We'll finish up. Psalm 106. You see, I don't understand. I mean, I really do believe that if God gave me everything I wanted, I'd be happy. Well, in Psalm 106, we get a little bit of input and insight into why that is not the case. Psalm 106, verse 14. Psalm 106 is, again, referencing the children of Israel in the wilderness. Notice what it says. But lusted exceedingly in the wilderness. That's what we read about in Numbers 11. They lusted exceedingly in the wilderness and tempted God in the desert. Remember, they criticized God and they questioned God. But lusted exceedingly in the wilderness and tempted God in the desert. Verse 15. And he gave them their request. You say, oh, that's nice. He gave them their request. Yeah. But sent leanness into their soul. You say, what does that mean? He sent leanness. Remember, he's killing the fattest of them. Being fat is the opposite of being lean. He said, I gave them everything they wanted physically but I starved them spiritually. They got what they wanted, but lost what they needed. They were physically full, but spiritually empty because of their complaining and because of their lack of contentment. And I'm just telling you, there's worse things than not having the things that you complain about. Like having all those things and having God send leanness to your soul. What does it profit a man if he gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Amen. Go to Psalm 37. We'll finish up. Psalm 37. There's actually a verse that Brother Vijay shared with me recently. He shared this with me recently after I preached some other sermon a few weeks ago. And it came to my mind and I thought, this is actually a perfect verse to go with the thought we're learning about this morning. See, you and I, we, we get this idea. We, here's what we think. We think, if, if I could have everything I ever wanted, I'd be happy. And God says, no, no, no. If you had everything you ever wanted, you'd be miserable. I know what you need. I am your shepherd. Let me lead you. And you just decide not to want. Here's what the Bible says, Psalm 37. Look at verse 4. Delight thyself. Delight thyself. Delight thyself. In wine? In wealth? In women? In men? In activities? Delight thyself also in the Lord, and he shall give thee the desires of thine heart. 
See, here's what you and I want. We, we want, delight thyself, and he shall give you the desires of thine heart. We want, give me the desires of my heart, God. Give me the desires of my heart. And God said, no, no, no. If I gave you the desires of your heart, it would ruin you. It would destroy you. Like Solomon, you would say, I hated life. But when you and I decide to delight ourselves also in the Lord, then God gives us the desires of our heart. And part of that might mean, part of that might mean that we, de- we delight ourselves on the Lord, then the Lord now can trust us to give us the desires of our heart. That could be an interpretation of that, and I believe that is an interpretation of that, but I think even a, a greater interpretation is this, that when you and I learn to delight ourselves also in the Lord, then all of a sudden, he's given us the desires of our heart. Because God's already given you what you need. You just don't know it. Your eyes are just somewhere else. You're comparing with someone else. You're complaining about what you have. You're coveting for things that aren't yours. And what we realize is that when we delight ourselves also in the Lord, we now realize that what God has given us is enough. You say, how can you say that? And here's, and here's the thing that I wish, I wish you could understand this, and I, I wish you could get this, and I just don't know that you can really get this until you get there spiritually, and it is this. How can you say what I have is enough? You can say what you have is enough when you realize that God is enough. Amen. And I'd rather have God without the house, without the job, without the car, without all these exterior things, I'd rather have God without those things and delight myself also in the Lord and realize that He's already given me the desires of my heart. He's already provided the manna that I need. He's already given me everything I need. And I, and I realize that when I delight myself also in the Lord, He shall give me the desires of thine heart. I'd rather have that than to have Him give us our requests but send leanness to our soul. Let's bow our heads in our word of prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for this passage, Numbers chapter 11. Lord, I pray you'd help us. We are a people that like to complain. The grass is always greener on the other side. We like to think, if only we, if only I, if only this, if only that, then I would be happy. Lord, teach us to find our satisfaction in you. Help us to say like the Apostle Paul, I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. Help us to delight ourselves also in thee, because you've already given us the desires of our heart. Lord, I pray you'd help us. Help us to learn this lesson. Help us not to allow ourselves to complain because when we complain, we complain against God and God hears our complaints. Help us not to be covetous. Help us not to be comparing. Help us to realize that you are most glorified when we are most satisfied in you. In the matchless name of Christ, we pray. Amen.
We're going to have Brother Mac 